Well, let me I'm going to do a quick look at something here, if I could. Um, come to mind. Would have been that. It's a proverb. I read, you know, proverbs, you know, every day for the most part. Um, there's one that stuck in my mind here recently, and it. I'll just give you the the summary of it. I'm not seeing. It. I can't remember which day it was. Um, but it basically Proverbs 14:8. I found it. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his, and it's not capitalized. It's small case, H-I-S, his way. Now, we know it would be true to say to understand his ways is true, but catch this, and you'll see why I emphasize it. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. The folly of fools is deceit. It's so important that we know how we deal with things. Because this verse, I believe, speaks to, it's foolish to say, oh, no, no, I'm not like that. Oh, I, I'm not, no, I don't do that. It's in the very privacy of your own life, wherever that happens to be, whether it's at night or in the, in the, in the night when you're not sleeping or, you know, those uh, times where you're just kind of working through life or maybe you just can't sleep, but you choose to, to work through life. And, and, and it's so important. I'm going to read it one more time. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. How many of you guys uh, take your car to the shop just to see if the mechanic can find something? Yeah, no one. You're not just going to, you know, I don't know how they're doing this month. Maybe I could help their sales. Maybe the service numbers could come up if I take my vehicle. You don't. You don't take it in until you either have a scheduled maintenance, which is trying to cut your cost down later, or there's something that says, hey, I need to have this looked at. Well, the connection I'm making is that, you know, it's the same with us. You know, when you, when you understand your ways, you're going to see things that you know don't correlate. They don't perfectly synchronize with the written word of God. And you can beat yourself up. You can try to you know, somehow eliminate that reality or somehow pretend it doesn't exist. Or you could learn to understand your way and realize, I'm, not, I'm just not going to lie to myself anymore. You know, the worst liar is you, is me. I mean, we, we, we deceive ourselves because sometimes we just don't want to face it. Or we don't, more often, I think we just don't know how to face it. And this proverb says it, it's, it's, it's wisdom. It, it's so beneficial to know your ways. And, and not go on a, you know, like I say, you can't go beating yourself up, but the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And so those moments at night when you're just going, man, don't, don't, like I say, beat yourself up, but just recognize, why did I react to that? Why did I have a good morning until that person did this or that's, they said that or I heard about this? And now I started going off the rails. And you know what most people will say? It was because of that idiot. Or because of that, what the, they're doing or what's happening with them. And you're just not understanding your ways. You're dodging instead of dealing. And it's much better to just say, you know, I, I, gosh, what do I, why do I react like that? Why do I, you know, and I just encourage you, you can do your, I have my own way of dealing with it. And, uh, but that particular ver- proverb, Proverbs 14.8, um, I think is very helpful because... To do the same thing the same way, expecting different results is, oh yeah, you guys have already used that line before, right? You understand it. So find a way to address and adjust. You'll find that 
that's when we really start coming into a, a deeper understanding, I believe, of the faithfulness of God and the intimacy he offers. You know, we know that God created the world. You, you have to be intellectually dishonest to look at the pattern, the repetition, the order of this world from the, in the universe. You know, you may argue with the order of human interaction on the planet. That's a reasonable argument. But you, you don't, can't argue that the sun doesn't come up. Or you, you know what I mean? So you have to conclude there's a God. But do we know the intimacy he offers, the closeness through Jesus Christ that he presents to us? And that's our desire. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we come on Sunday. That's why we, we really deep down have a yearning, a longing to know God in a deeper and a more real way. And we're hoping to gather with people that have similar desires and values and maybe learn from them. But they're only going to help you so far. It's only with the Lord that we start drawing closer and stuff. So tonight we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at Romans 13, and you probably understand why, because, you know, we've got a, an election coming up. Where do I make this thing? Where's the, where's the liftoff valve on this one? Here we go. Yeah. It's like, I need to have a remote for this thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a couple arguments, and, and I understand them, and uh, I'm not here tonight to pressure anyone. I just have found it very beneficial when you want to know what God has to say about an issue, it's best to go to the Word of God and see what He says about an issue. Uh, a lot of conversation, a lot of opinion, it's got its place, but um, some will say that we're not to be a part of government. Um, much of the logic is related that we're not of this world, that we are heavenly, and so therefore what happens here happens here. Uh, I, I don't think you're being honest with yourself if you embrace that, because you're here. <laughs> you're in these frames and you will be till the day you depart and God give us specific you know um, examples you think of uh, you know Joseph now granted the conditions that got him into government were not favorable you remember Joseph his, his brothers bailed on him because he was daddy's favorite they sell him out uh, he goes into slavery has a rough few years but ends up being in a very practical way, the, the second in line ruler of the world, if you would, he was just under Pharaoh. And God used his involvement in that government to take a family that he was forming and bring him into a relationship, bring him into where they will be, oddly enough, in Egypt, where they'll grow from a family to a nation. And so in that, in that order, in that government, you know, Joseph was there. We know Queen Esther, she had a bit of a governmental position, right? Like queen, yeah, kind of have a little power there, influence all, it was a little different society. Um, we know Daniel as well. Uh, Nehemiah, we know also was a part of government. Um, you remember the Hananiah, Michael, and Azariah? You remember them? You remember by name, maybe? That's their secular name. Or that's the Jewish name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys ever heard Veggie Tales? Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? So we know who we're talking about, right? It's like those guys, you know, they, they're, they're clear where they were a part of a secular government and then involved in some fashion. And so it's important that we understand, okay, how do we, how do we live this? And so a couple things we're going to cover just by intro. We are his children as Christians, and citizens of his kingdom. So that's who we are. We're children and citizens of his kingdom, but we're also citizens in this secular realm. 
and think of it beyond what we, you know, visually can see in a sense of, you know, our locality. But it, this involves, as his children, different continents, different countries, vastly different cultures, um, yet placed here in this season and time for eternal purposes. This is why we're here. We are here because, you know, you didn't, you didn't get to fill out like you're in a pre-existence form. You didn't get to say what century you wanted to arrive and what continent you wanted to be on. You know what I mean? You didn't get to pick your parents. You know, God just brought you to be. Fascinating if you think about that because if you look at the course of human history, there's some seasons I wouldn't be, want to be around. We whine a lot about what we're in, but it's not the worst one ever. I guarantee you that. Yet. <laughs> it's got some possibilities. So re- realize this. Maybe you can just hold on to this as a, a, a baseline. Our primary purpose is to know God and make him known. That's our primary purpose. Now, our mission is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and the gift, his gift of salvation. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're, we're resident aliens... Citizens of the king with national citizenship as well in this secular, in this realm. So, well, in this world, we are subjected, um, submitted to the government of this world. There are uh, all governments, um, I kind of chewed on this one this afternoon, but all, all, all governments have their advantages and disadvantages. All government types have two distinctions. Leaders and citizens. Um, Leaders have responsibility, as do citizen subjects. Citizens, um, they obey to the degree they believe government is fulfilling governmental responsibilities. When government does not follow its responsibilities, citizens resist, then they rebel or even revolt. That's a historical fact. You can look at it you know, throughout history. And so with that in mind, we want to, okay, well, how, do we, how now do we live? For the Christ follower, we submit to the government with the awareness that we answer to the king. Did that help? We submit to the government with the awareness that we answer to the king. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We're passing through with eternity in view. So now let's go into Romans 13, and it'll actually show us the basis for some of those things I've stated. Romans 13, I'd like to read it. And I, I like to do it this way. I know we can just read through it and grasp it. But one reason I, on Sundays as well, I like to read the, the body of the text that we're going over is it helps you in the initial part, for those who are just first time reading it, and for that you know, particular study through, it helps you to catch the overall context. Does that make sense? It, 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 sometimes when you start one at a time and you start breaking it down, it's hard to keep it all together. So we'll just read through the, the chapter very briefly here. Uh, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. 
Verse 5, therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandments, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11, and do this, knowing the time, that now is a high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. All right, we'll travel back to verse 1. As we look at this and we see some of the clarity, even the definitiveness to the statements, we got to understand, you know, God reigns over this world. And you can look these passages up and look other support verses up for this. I challenge you to do that. You know, I can come in and I can, you know, do cross references and I can use the the digital tools and the paper tools I have and give you all the answers or, or you can dig in on where you're curious and you can go, where else does it say something about God you know, establishing nations and raising one up and taking one down. And you can, you can dig in. And if you have any questions on how to do that, I'd love to sit with you, show you how to use some of the tools that are very helpful in, uh, in your biblical studies and getting the word understanding and context. And stuff. But basically, he raises leaders up and he takes them down. Several places the Bible says that. And we have to understand that. You know, we know that he has allowed a sub-ruler, so to speak, over mankind, right? Called the prince of this age, the prince of this world, this this current satanic leader, Satan himself, is establishing uh, an ungodly order. And we know that to be true. But even in that, you know, we can see that, that God, every soul is to be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, bear with me, because when you read that, and you automatically, many have had experiences that have been uh, maybe even an expression of corruption from governmental positions or authorities. And so you're thinking, wait a minute, I have to bow down to that? Well, remember, the time this was wrote, the, 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 the letter to the Romans, I mean, you think about that general, even overall period of time. Have you ever heard of a man by the name of Caesar Nero? Well, we, he's a nutcase. He literally rejected God and just went off the deep end. He just got progressively worse and worse and worse. Did horrible things. Some of the things that happened to the early Christians are beyond our comprehension. Where they would, they would literally use to light the, the, the gardens for these, these Roman leaders. They were literally tied to these, this tinder, this you know, pile of wood. And lit on fire and say, light the world. And it was just, it was just hard to even imagine some of the things that were done. You know, we want to talk about corruption. If you study the Roman Empire, it's the pinnacle to some measure of immorality. 
Because absolute power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when you have all resources financially to do whatever you want, then you then go way off the deep end into immorality because you have no financial pleasure because you've already purchased whatever you can. You want me to throw out a quick reference culturally? Michael Jackson. Remember that guy? So he ended up with so much money and so much influence from finances and so much popularity, he lacked, and I'm giving you the summary and obviously my biased version in any way, he lacked any sense of like accomplishment. So then he started doing things that will never be thoroughly understood or investigated. He changed his skin color because he can, because he wanted to. You know what I mean? He, he just, and, and I won't even get into some of the other horrible things that we know took place, but that's just a, it's a singular example. Government, you can multiply that. So all government has been in place, authorities that are there. I'm going to get into some of this corruption issue here in a minute. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So God has established government. To resist being governed is to resist his lordship. And you want to see that within this text. As I've mentioned the empire and the government that was present at this time of the writing, you know, they were familiar with uh, really corrupt practices. And it, it's historical, even from you know, coming out of the Garden of Eden, it, it took place. But you want to see that to resist the government, to resist being governed, I can, I can do what I want, which is a, a big push in our culture. You know, you can do things according to how you see they should be done. As the Bible said, it, that those days would come, the days of Noah, the day, the time will come on humanity, which we're in now, when everyone will do what's right in their own eyes. When right will be called wrong and wrong will be called right, which is the age you live in right now. And so there's a definite need for wisdom on how to live under leadership that rejects God's leadership. That's our problem. Can we agree? When we have leadership that rejects God's leadership, then how do I submit to that? Because that's pretty straightforward. I'm supposed to. And I'll just give you a teaser because it's going to come up here in just a few minutes. But you, you weigh the cost. You have to count the cost. You could go to jail for it. You could suffer consequences and other things. You have to decide, is it worth it? Because I think it's worth it. I think some of the things we would have to endure and may very well suffer in our, in our culture, in our nation in the years to come, we have to be willing to, to literally consider, is it, is it worth the fight? Will I stand for this? Or will I say it's okay? Will I be a compromiser in a culture? Or will I find a way to communicate with clarity, with compassion, with no flexibility? It's almost not possible, right? But there's certain things I hope you have already sorted out that you will not flex on. There's just certain things I will not, I will not bend on. I will not, I will not compromise on. I will not give in on. You know, uh, you know, people have said, and I've had this conversation multiple times in 25 years, 30 years actually. You know, you can't make one issue the issue for an election. I think I can. If you can't determine. When life begins, I don't want you making other decisions with my life. If you cannot, if you want to turn it into a discussion about the circumstances around conception, if you want to make it an issue about human rights, all these other things, this topic of abortion, then I, 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 I will never vote for someone who I know is pro-abortion. Because they have already said, I don't care about life. 
And even the most vulnerable of all lives, I don't care. I don't care how articulate you are, how you schmooze, how you work the media. I don't care. If you can't decide what a four-year-old knows, I don't want you messing with the government. What's a four-year-old know? Show them a picture, an ultrasound picture of a child in the womb. And they don't go, oh my gosh, is that a fetus? Is that a product of conception? What do they say? What do they say? The most innocent, the most obvious, the most truthful, in a sense, of knowledge. It's a baby. Yeah, well, great. Send somebody to school for six, eight, ten years, and they don't know that anymore. They suddenly can't figure that out. I'm not trying to be cynical, but if we can't boil it down to simplicity, then we're going to just flounder in complexity. And we just got to say, hey, this, is, this is just kind of the bottom line. So here, let's move along. This says, you know, let me give you, go over a couple of things. There's this need for wisdom, and we will get back into that. I want, to, I want to go into something that we need to recognize that's not often thought of, but man is created to be ruled over. That actually is God's design. Given free will and given the capacity to make decisions, but created to be ruled over. Remember that one place? I don't think you visited there recently, but your relatives were there. The Garden of Eden? You know, Adam and Eve? You know, they, what was that all about? God ruled. There was fellowship. There was responsibility. There were rules. So there were consequences. And it was, you know, it sounded like it was a pretty sweet setup, quite honestly. But man rejected God's authority over him. He, he wouldn't receive it. God gave them over to the rule that man demanded. Man said, I, I want to do it my way. You know, you look at the fall of man and how that happened. Rebellion is saying, I can do it better on my own. I can rule, rule according to my own desires. And so God has appointed governments and allowed mankind to show how good we can do. That's ultimately what governments do. You don't want God. He, we've, humanity stated that historically. And so he says, you're out. You can't live here and, and not listen. It's kind of, I'll give you the summary of the Garden of Eden. So they got evicted. And now they're living on their own. And now they're going to become under their own rule and authority. And see, God's appointed governments, but government by design is not always the same government by practice. Correct. Think of it this way. God appoints and man disappoints. Every governmental system has its, 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 its benefits and its risks. And they, work, they look great on paper. It's when you get people involved that starts becoming a problem. There's many a ruler that has started with good intentions only to give in to the common failures we looked at it on Sunday, 1 John chapter 1, verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things capsulize the failure of almost every form of politics because there's just this unquenchable desire for more. More power often produces more pride. More pride leads to wandering eyes. Wandering eyes lead to moral failure. And it's not, it's not limited to a party. It's not just politics. It's this power that comes along with it. God's appointment of government confirms that man cannot govern themselves in this world. Even if one leader is good, usually the following generation starts turning away. You actually see that from the Old Testament, even when the priestly order and what God has established. And we see that in our nation. You'll see there are some in our 
world today, uh, even in our governmental system, they really are. They're, they're holding the line. There are very few, but they're, they're toeing the line. They're loving the Lord. They're proper representatives. But to build a team around them is next to impossible. To have a supporting team and have somebody that was actually holds the line. You may have a group of 100, but you may only have 75 in a good group that are really tight with you. But 25 can do a lot of damage and undermine a lot of effort. And it just shows the reality of, of humanity's desire. Hum, um, see, so history confirms that mankind does not want a true theocracy. We know that happened in the Garden of Eden. Theocracy, theos, you know, God ruling over humanity. The nation Israel declared to Samuel, we don't want God to rule over us. We want to be like the other nations and have a man rule over us. First Samuel chapter 8. That was the whole thing. We, gosh, you know, here God rules over us, and they've got their kings, and they get to pick different people. I don't get to pick too often, but they would only look at what, oh, this would be better for us. God's like, have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? So here's what the king's going to do. He's going to take the best of the best of the best. He's going to take your kids. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your stuff, and he's going to build his own little deal, and you're going to pay for it. Sounds good to me. That really was basically their paraphrased answer. We don't care. We don't want God to rule over us. See, that is the very seed, the very nature that we carried from Adam. This sin nature that says, I don't mind the benefits of God, but I will not bow under the lordship of God. And so I want the benefits. You know, God, how, why, you know, you've heard it. You've said it, some of you. God, why are you doing this to me? When we're in rebellion to him. Like somehow we can rebel with no consequences. With no cost. And because he's all powerful, he should fix everything for us. Because after all, he loves us. Even though we functionally flip him the finger. And carry on like we don't really care at all. It's really weird how we can get to, I mean, humanity gets to thinking sometimes. I like what Warren Wiersbe said in this regard. God established human government because man is a sinner and must have some kind of authority over himself. Because there's another term that's bandered about, and it's a theory. Anarchy? You know, I, I don't promote it. I don't think it's a good plan. But you just, it's the, it's the blending of that and survival of the fittest and a, and a little of this evolutionary thought and only the strong survive. It's like only the most wicked survive for a little time. And so it, there's a reason for this. You know, man's the problem in all governments, if we can remember that, and get, a part, get a, away from our form of a type of democracy. The problem in all governments, there's like a monarchy. What's the problem with the monarchy? The king goes bad, or the prince does, or someone along the line. Um, an oligarchy, which we're learning a lot about from some of the things that are happening in Ukraine with Russia and stuff. Same thing. A republic, communism. I don't, socialism is actually not a government, in my opinion. Um, it's a transitional state between capitalism and communism. Because socialism is a type of theft to take from one and keep for yourself in the name of fairness and humanitarian relief. Uh, I'm just be fair. We'll just redistribute. Oh, we're going to just take from here. It's theft. Socialism is a reaction to a type of greed and selfishness that flourishes in capitalism. And, I, and I've said that before, and I've just, it's a good way to reduce your friends list. Seriously. 
because we are so supportive of capitalism. We just, and I, I know I'm at risk even saying, well, this group, the one online, you know, anyway. Just face it, capitalism, it, it, it leads, it tends to, I don't think it's, it requires, but it leads to, 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 to greed and selfishness. More from myself, more from this. I know of many people, and, and you know, I'm just going to use this as a reference. At one point in their life, I just need to get to this financial level. If I can get to there, I will be okay. I could do this. And they sweat, and they work, and they're moral, and they're ethical, and they love God, and they do that. And they get to that level, and they realize, oh, but if I could get to this level, then if I had that and this and these and those, then I could better serve. Then I could better do. Then I could live more according to my calling. And they get to that level. And, 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 and then it doesn't stop. You see what I'm saying? It just, it just keeps going. And capitalism promotes that because here's what happens. There's always somebody that's got more. There's always a Gates. There's always a Trump. There's always a fill in the blank. There's always somebody that, you know, and they do it. And then the Christians are just, we're kind of as squirrely as the rest of them. Because we find another Christian that does it. Oh, maybe we could start a ministry like theirs. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> You're only four million away. Go for it, Bubba. You know, it's like, it, it, it's just it's something that's in, it's just a part of capitalism. And it, it's, I don't, I'm not opposed to capitalism. You guys probably understand that, right? I just like to look at things with a, just a broader view. Like, well, there's some drawbacks to it. Capitalism has the potential to promote greed. Socialism is theft. Communism is atheistic. So there is no God. That's the core of communism. You, it's a form of humanism where you can just communally and you, you just can make everything work. And it's really not that simple as communal because these people make you do everything for them. So it's actually another very distorted form of multi-layered monarchy maybe. Anyway, anyway let's move on. Um, the simplicity is this. Rejecting God as our king is humanity's problem. That's the problem regardless of what form. So all this in summary for verses 1 and 2. Know your role in the nation and never forget your place in his kingdom. Learn, know your role in the nation because we're just talking about our nation. But, you know, you look at it historically and globally, you've got to know your role, but never forget your place in his kingdom. I believe it's essential in in knowing how to, to function in world governments and know your part. Our primary purpose is to know God and make him known. Our mission is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. We're in this world and not of it. So now in verse 3 of Romans 13. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. This is a general rule. If you're not breaking the law, you don't have anxiety when you see a police officer. Is that true? Generally speaking, I mean, if you're, you're running down the freeway, it, you know, you're not sure if your speedometer is right, but you know, you're probably around 87, 90, somewhere around there. And then you see a cop can be on the other side of the freeway going the other way. You back off the throttle. Why is that? Oh, I just had a nervous twitch in my right leg. <laughs> just it, the truth is, if you're not breaking the law, you're not as nervous when a law enforcement person goes by. And that's kind of the principle that's being presented. It's not meant to mean that, you know, hey, just, if you're good, then they're good. Because we know there's evil in our, in our local government. There's evil at the state level and national, and you just keep on going. So just generally speaking, you know, they're there for you can see for a purpose. 
You want to be unafraid of the authority? Then, then don't go breaking the law all the time. Verse 4, verse 3, you know, remember this is written to the church. Wouldn't it sound like we're talking about outside God's design? This is within his. Like, listen, the, the church is to fit and it has its place within secular governments, within civil order, within, you know, how we live and carry ourselves. So it says in verse 4, you know, for speaking of this ruler, he's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's God's minister to really to, to maintain order because some practice evil. We've seen that when we've been going through First John. Uh, this practicing of it is continually and habitually doing evil. Um, you know, people don't like it, but it's simple. God has established when you take a life, you owe a life. When there's this, this criminal intent and these, this murderous action, you know, this speaking of bear the sword, because some people say, oh, that's the Old Testament, but you don't, God doesn't speak like that in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't. The sword wasn't for a Halloween costume. I mean, it was, it was the weapon. It was the pre-firearm weapon, so to speak. And, and it, it not only visually represented something, it was functionally used, especially by the Romans, to establish something. So there was basically saying, if you, you know, he didn't bear the sword for vain. It isn't just for decoration. And Christians were killed because killed, Christians kill people. You know, somebody gets in a fight, do whatever. You can just imagine the potential scenario that still fits in the framework of being born again. Is it possible that a born-again person has killed someone? It's, I guarantee it. Does that mean they're not born again? No, it means they did something stupid. Now, if they did it habitually, now we have another thing going on. But you understand. So that person, because he loves Jesus, he shouldn't lose his life. There shouldn't be consequences because he, after he killed that person and that person and that person, and then he went to jail, then through a jail ministry, he come to Christ. So let's forgive him. It's, 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 no, it's, it's, you don't get this removed because all of a sudden you've had a jailhouse conversion, legitimate or not. You see what I'm saying? The consequences are still in place. There are certain things that take place. And this is what God has established. Because we need to have civil order. People will do terrible things to people if there's no consequences. And we don't even have to debate that one. So um, the sword is for order within the nation and for defense toward an outward enemy. It has two purposes within Roman culture. Uh, moving on to verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Consequences and conscience. You must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And that's a very interesting thing to chew on and and think about. You know, I will obey because of my conscience. Because your conscience has been surrendered. Previously, your conscience was... Uh, experientially driven or culturally driven. It was fed by whatever was brought into you as a child and wherever you grew up and where you live. So your conscience, you know, what made you realize I did something wrong in a, in a global sense was pretty broad among people. But now your conscience has been handed over to the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, he resides within you, dwells within you. He now is your conscience, if you would. So what you used to be able to do in some cultures is not acceptable because the Holy Spirit says that's not how it works. This is what the Word says. 
And so your conscience is now being reformed and your framework and your, your, your not your freedoms, but well, your liberties to some degree. Uh, you know, all things are permissible, it says in Corinthians, but not all things are beneficial. So you're permitted to do certain things, but it's probably not, it's not going to benefit you. So we're looking here at this uh, um, in verse 5. It must be subject because of wrath of conscience sake. So first off, I want to follow my conscience as I have learned to surrender it to the Holy Spirit. And so my conscience says, and in other parts in Scripture too, that I should be a good citizen in regards to just normal, civil you know, guidelines and rules. You, you can't just say, well, I, I don't, I just can't get places fast enough. I don't follow the speed limit. It's just, you know, I, you know, and people come up with all these little weird rules why it's okay to, to speed or to roll through. A, what's that California stop thing? That's hilarious because I've never seen them stop. But nonetheless, you know, there's all these things. You know, you should actually be a good witness in the community. You want, can I, this does have probably almost no correlation, but I'll make it sound like it does. You know, it's like Christians, you should tip. You scrooges. Some are so tight. I'm seriously, I, you, you sit down in a restaurant and you're, that's the, that's the Sunday crew walking in, squeaking. And I'm joking with you a little bit, but I'm not. Because we know several people that have worked in restaurants and they've accurately identified and realized that sometimes the Sunday crew is the tightest ones. They're the most demanding. They're the least supporting. And in a, in a culture that doesn't have that as a law, but it's a sense of economic understanding. And, you know, you should be tipping appropriately. Agreed? Now, can I ask you if you do it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just seriously be open to that. Because there, we should be a good witness in the world. And it ties together with so many things that we do. And we can't just excuse ourselves. Because quite honestly, I think God should correct us when we're, when we're making it okay. Now... In Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's an interesting event. You can check it out, but let me give you one of the quotes out of there. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. There are some things, as I've already alluded to with the abortion issue, and and there's other things that you're going to be deeply convicted on. And you're going to realize, I can't, with a clear conscience, go through with this or participate in that or vote for that I can't with a clear conscience just stand before God because I know I'll stand before God someday. And if we can let that drive us on some of these cultural issues, then we'll have, I believe, we'll have not more confrontation. I believe the Holy Spirit will develop greater compassion with wisdom and enable us to communicate in a manner that we can convey the truth and not compromise, not give in. You and I are living in the most corrupt time morally in the history of the United States of America. Absolutely. When, when, you, when we, we, we think this, this transgender, your, your fluid gender issue and all this stuff, that you're just supposed to be nice and let people do whatever, we think that that's just a decision thing. It is a sexual thing. It is grossly perverse. Not just the operation, but everything that's oriented behind that sexuality-driven fact in our culture. The fact that some of these things that are said to be okay, if you follow this for very long and you see some of the agendas that were revealed... And that, you know, now pedophilia is being treated okay. You can go to a TED Talk. You ever heard of TED Talks? And it talks about how pedophilia is okay. And it, it's promoted. You think it's something, I mean, this has only been a couple years. The Lord tarries, where are you going to be in, in another four or five? 
If you've watched the the degradation, if you've watched our culture sexually slide into this moral abyss, then you can look and go, man, and we're being told it's okay. You know, right now in the church, many contemporary churches, which are demonic, they're, they're, they're literally saying this stuff's okay. They're, they're th- throwing it. Denominations have thrown in on this. Denominations, and I don't care. I mean, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going to try to make a point about which side of the immunization you may be on. But to mandate and require an untested injection into somebody and then have the church say, if you don't do that, you're, you're not even a Christian. I mean, there's, there's, there's just some of the stuff that's going on right now. You just shake your head and go, at what point do we have to stand as individuals and go, you know, I'm not going there. I, I'll go to jail. I'll go to this. And that's not a defiant thing, although it's a new ministry opportunity. But it, it, it seriously is one of those things you go, I'm not going to flex on this. And it's not defiant. It's just this is the word says. I just, and it's for conscience sake. Sometimes it's just, you know, I do this. Now, I, the context, and I've drawn a lot of, to this one verse, the, the, the simplicity and the, the initial part of the context is, you know, you're subject, and if you're not subject, then, you know, you're going to experience wrath. And, and for conscience sakes of nothing else, you know, you just follow the civil order. Render, therefore, all that to do. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor is due. You know, Jesus said it um, so simply, you know, in regards to taxes. Actually, in verse 6, because of this, you also pay taxes. Um, they had approached him and wanted to know whether they should pay taxes, and they were baiting him because the authorities knew that if they could get him to say, don't pay taxes because of the horrible Roman authority, then they could get him on that rejecting the Roman authority. If he could say pay taxes, then he'd have the Jews on against him because they hated the Roman authority. So it was a brilliant question. Hey, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus says, does anybody have a coin? And so they give him a coin, and he says, whose picture's on it? And I'm sure they're like, he doesn't even know. And of course, you know, someone says, well, it's Caesar's. He's like, oh, we'll give it back to him. That's my paraphrase. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and give unto God the things that are God's. And all of a sudden, they're like, they had had nothing on him. It was a brilliant answer, and it's simple. You you know, you live in the culture. You benefit from roads. You have power, electricity. You have certain things. You pay taxes. You just render unto the Caesar the things that are Caesar. Those are the things of this world. pay Pay your part. Give to God the things that are God as well. So it's uh, fascinating because, you know, you look at this whole text and he's, you know, he's just, you know, emphasizing practicality and realization. Notice it says in verse 7, customs to whom customs are due. You know, there's just some customs that are just, you just go along with it. It's not, you know, unless your conscience really convicts you. You know, at one time, you know, Paul says to somebody, you don't need to be circumcised. And then another time, this guy has to be circumcised. And they're like, well, make up your mind. But he had that sensitivity to the spirit. He had that awareness of where he was. When we would go to India, um, um, and I've been a few times, I think five or six. We never, I haven't never pinned down how many times. Quite a few. Um, when you go, you have to be aware of their customs. You have to be aware of their culture, how they do things. You know, they have a way of moving things through their system. So... Uh, the leadership over there is very savvy, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. 
And, and in order to move something through their bureaucratic system, you have to convey a sense of value, a sense of importance. They have to be able to understand how important it is. We call that bribery. Seriously. You pay to get it through the process quicker. And you literally go from the top of the pile, the bottom of the pile to the top of the pile by how you convey how much. But here's the problem. You got to go through 10 desks in the bureaucratic system to get approval for this thing you want to do. And so desk one, desk two, desk three, now desk one, two, and three, you're letting the word out. Desk four is jacking the price up. And so you see what's happening, you have to be very savvy in how to know how to work through this custom or this process. And, you know, the first time I heard of that, I was livid. It was so un-American. Seriously, because it just seems so backwards. And then I thought for a little bit, like, they're just more straightforward. We're more bureaucratic. <laughs> we have different systems and different things that tax on and add on and throw fees to. And, you know, anyway. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. If you have a corrupt um, leader, you should be afraid of them. Not in like run and hide, but you should be wise in how you deal with things. If you've ever dealt with somebody who then shows themselves to be two-faced in a government position, the next time you deal with them, what are you going to do? I hope something different because the first time didn't work. You should learn. Now, you could go public and you might not, you might do, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is just, just know where you live and how to live within this world we're in. Honor to whom honor is due. Uh, it's been said frequently in the last 12 years, um, maybe more. Depends on which side of the party you're, you're in. Um, you uh, honor the position of president even if you don't like the person. And there's truth to that. And actually, there's a lot to that. It's an element, too, of you know, uh, respecting the uniform even though the individual doesn't properly wear it with integrity and character. Um, I get it. That kind of ties together with here. So many people, when they teach through governmental authority, Romans 13, this is where they stop. And I, I believe it's an error because I don't believe the flow of this message stops there. I, I believe Paul, even when he would be sharing it, would say, no, no, we're not taking a break here. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going because owe no one anything except to love one another. Because that has to be knit together with all this. How do you sort this out? You get too, I get too positional. I get too, you know, party-oriented or you know, position, I guess, whichever side you sit on. And we get leaning towards that. And we then start listening to our own preference more than actually having see with a, more of a peripheral view of things. And we, we, it's just hard to love when you become narrow-minded. Oh, no one anything except for love. With the commandments, and we, you know, he just says, hey, you got all these commandments. They're great. They have their place. But if you're not loving your neighbor, if you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, then these other things are pointless. We're a citizen here, yet an ambassador of another kingdom. His kingdom, his way, and his way is the way of love. And that's why it's a conflict in your life and my life to navigate these complexities of a Christian in this world and a government system that does not, is not surrendered or submitted to his ways. And so we have to navigate and work through, and yet his way is the way of love. 
learning how love would be applied. Don't ever misunderstand grace and love as to be some form of a doormat that the world gets to wipe their feet on. It is not that. It doesn't mean that we just get pushed around and do whatever. That we're just supposed to be submissive and passive and just kind of you know, get walked on. It means we're to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. We're to know how do I handle this? Because sometimes it requires a confrontation. Uh, I believe it was Philippi, right? With, with, with Paul. They stomped him. I mean, in the jail. They're like, you know, and they're like, all right. Was it Philippi? Yeah, he's turning him loose. He's like, what? You beat me as a Roman citizen and then you're kicking me on the street? I don't think so. And they freaked out. You know, that was, I don't know if you thought about that. That was a bold move. Because he's basically saying, it ain't going to go down that way. When I'm sure there's people around him going, Paul, let's go. He's turning you loose. Like, nope. Nope, not doing it. You go get your boss and let's talk. And they went and told him. And he's like, oh, that can't be good. And why would you think Paul would do that? Love. Love. Because he's going to leave. I believe, am I quoted right, Philippi? Ephesians? Okay. All I know is when he leaves, what's going to happen? These authorities can now come back in and, 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 and exercise pressure. But because of the move he made, knowing his place within government, knowing when to be, make it clear that I'm a Roman citizen, they now have fear of retribution. In other words, they know that there's a Roman kind of in somehow leadership of this group, and I believe it protected them from the other forms of oppression. Just being wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. You have one great debt indebted to the king's love. We know that as Christians. We're indebted to him. He said, I have no other debt. Don't be, you know, don't owe. Don't make an oath. Don't make these commitments to people and then you're bound to them. We've all made that mistake before. Whether it's on a purchase agreement from a used car dealer or whatever it may be, or just a relational commitment that we now are bound to. You know, some of us, I'll say, I'll do, hey, I'll, I'll help you. I'll do this, I'll do this. And then you find out you're dealing with a ripoff artist. Many of you, I know, I know I've had these situations. I still finish what I said I would do, even though I'm actually somehow helping somebody I no longer want to see again. But I know I, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. I shouldn't have committed to it. I committed to it, I'm going to get you in there. Committed to it, I'm going to do it, I'll never do it again. <laughs> so it's, the point on all this is like, you know, just make that one, you're indebted to, to him and, and him only. The law in every culture, the law in our land, our, the law is fascinating in a weird way. So we live in a system that continues to make rules anytime a rule is broken. That, that's what a law library is. It's a list of all these new laws because somebody did it this way, so now we got this new thing, and now there's a new thing. And there's just stacks one upon another. The law, the land is loaded with do nots. Do not do this, do not do that. The command of our king is do this, love. Really simple. It's so simple. So it brings it all back into kind of a practical ability to do it. And we have within us the, the love needed to, to pay the debt, but it must be paid on a daily basis. That's what's fascinating. Wouldn't you like to be able to just say, you know what, I'm just going like, to love people, get it all out of the way right now, and I don't have to do it later. You know, what I mean? Have you ever wanted to like, win the lottery? Don't lie. You want to win the lottery? Like, yeah, if I had it all at once, I'd be, yeah, I could have it. Just, you know. and, and maybe God says, I'm not going to let you win the lottery. I'm going to bless you day by day. And you're like, could you rethink that? And then you, and then you realize, like, 
Okay, I'll just learn to do it day by day. I'll get by day by day. Learn to love day by day. You don't get to pay the debt all at once. You know, you know that with your spouse. You know that with a loved one who's not yet a believer. You don't get to love them. I've done it. I've tried. I've done it for four weeks. I've done it for 14 years. They don't respond to the love of God. They're not my problem. Just keep loving. It's a daily payment of an indebtedness, and you have the capacity to pay it. It's given to you. Our goal is to extend his love, and we get to love and distribute to everyone around us. And it's not a debt of obligation. It's an opportunity for distribution. If you see it that way, I get to have an opportunity to distribute. I don't even have to agree with the whole process. I don't have to agree with love. I have to learn from love. But there's some loving things I've done I don't agree with. I learned to later, but at the time, I didn't think it was a good idea. Kim told me one time, get this. She says to me, as I come home from work, to one of our adolescent, almost teen kids, this child just needs to spend more time with dad because she's been a real pain in the neck. <laughs> yeah, she'll get some dad time, all right. That's, I'll schedule that. And she's like, no, I just think she just needs that, you know, kind of take her to ice cream. Literally, this is what she, I'll be more specific. She said, take her to Wendy and get her chocolate frosty. In my mind, is like, who are you and where's my wife? <laughs> I'm not going to reward someone for doing that. That doesn't make sense. I've, I, I'm sharing it spontaneously, remembering it vividly. I, I went downstairs to put away something and, and not look at Kim. And I'm just like going, you know, it's like, and then I, it's just like God said, why not? And I'm like, I, and I literally thought, my way ain't going to work. I've tried it several times. It still hasn't working. So I did. I did what she suggested. It just seemed so crazy, you know, to, to go spend time. I didn't have a deep conversation and a heartwarming interaction. Um, things were just kind of okay the rest of the evening. Bedtime came and went. The next day came. And, but that child was in a better mood, and things were going better. And I realized, you know, love you don't always agree with, but you will learn from it. And I learned so much realizing, okay, that her insight helped me to see beyond what I would normally have seen on my own, which is a note to you guys. Uh, your, your wife got this kid thing figured out a little better than you do. So just keep, just keep providing, but you know, kind of learn how to kind of do it all the rest of it as well. So lastly, on this portion, Jesus recognized the immoral Roman government, even the fraudulent Jewish system. Have you thought about that? The Roman government was so grossly immoral, even in his time. And his system, I mean, the, what God had established, of course, man tore it apart. We could even just say even in the intertestinal period and, and on. But anyway, prior to that even. So God established this means by which people can govern, the Jewish nation. And it was so fraudulent. He had to call them out, they're turning over tables and, you know, really getting up in their face. He, it was all there. But he chose to love. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They crucified him. He brought this, this forgiveness and this love, and that's, the, that's what he's conveying to you and I, this governing model, if you would. Wrapping it up, I won't go over in detail. I'm just going to give you some sound bites. In verse 11, do this and do this, knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. I will say that we are nearing a spot in our nation that evangelical declaration, gatherings such like this are becoming more and more at risk uh, through various forms of peer pressure, various forms of uh, so-called um, 
hate crime and different things that are taking place. And you've seen it accelerate. I think you've noticed it in the last 10 years especially, that they're becoming more and more restrictive. And there will easily become a time when we will not have the liberty to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we will not have the freedom we have right now to go and present the truth of eternity to people. We are losing it. And I believe there's, we have to realize now this is the time. Christians, Christian, or Christ followers, citizens, have been sleeping at the ballot box. And it, it, is just, it, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just saying, it's just, I mean, I, there many years as a young Christian, I didn't vote. And then I couldn't teach this, and I couldn't read this without realizing I, I, I got to be a part. I'm a foreigner citizen, and I need to be wake, awake. Too many have been lulled to sleep by the luxuries of our nation. And are able to say, er. may I say something, though, it's really important that we understand this. In our government, leaders are not elected by the majority of the people. Do you realize that? The leaders are not elected by the majority of the people. Leaders are elected by the majority of the people who vote. Huge difference. Majority of the people versus the majority of those who vote. Let me give you some numbers I run through today. In 2020, there were approximately 252 million eligible voters. In America, many polls put it in the mid-70s and upper 60% of Americans profess to be Christians. So I just cut that down to half. You have 252 million eligible voters, but 60 to 70% of those would be Christian. I'll say just 50%. So that leaves 125 million Christians eligible to vote. You cut that roughly in half, assuming that many professing Christians are not actual Christ followers. So now you went, now you went from 125 million down to 60 million. And you cut that by three-quarter, by three-fourths, and you have 15 million Christians that did not vote according to many surveys and polls. 15 million. It's probably more like 30 million in our nation that do not vote. Do you think that would impact an election? So here, understand this. You do not vote to win the election. That's another thing that you have to realize. You do not vote to win the election. You vote as a representative of the king. You vote as a representative of the king. That's the only reason you vote. If you vote to win the election, trust me, it's rigged. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not talking about just this one or the last one or whatever. There's just too many factors involved. You vote as a representative of the king. If you win, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. You cast your vote as a representative of the king. It's an act of obedience, and it's even an act of worship. It's just it's obedience. You know, if you imagine you had a setup and where, you know, this person, each person has to, you know, publicly make their vote known. Like we have that in our, in theory, on paper, we have it with our representation system. Although it seems like half the time they don't seem to show up and vote. But nonetheless, you, you, it's recorded who voted how. Can you imagine? What if it was recorded how we voted? Because it is. You know, God doesn't go, did you vote? You know what I mean? And, and don't get me wrong. I, I don't believe you vote to win. Does that make sense? It, that is a secular motivation, and it shouldn't be used in the church. You vote as a representative of the king. And, and so you just cast a vote that aligns with the king. As an ambassador, I cast a vote that aligns with the king. And that's why I, I, I can't say that I wouldn't vote for the Democratic Party, but I was one party I would never vote for, because the platform has taken a position that's ungodly. 
It's contrary to the one I serve. So there's no way I can vote when someone says it doesn't matter when life begins. It doesn't, it's, a, it's a choice. I, I can't represent the king in contrary. So now I've left you with some homework because you've got to do your research. You can go and check, you know, uh, for various scorecards. And you've got a lot of tools as your resource. Read, just readily on your phone. If you can't sleep tonight, you can get all this done in a little while. You can just literally do the background. You can go, I did last week, and looked at the sample ballot that we have here in our, in our community and what's on the ballot. And then you can go backwards from there and figure out who you want to vote to, vote for, for who made the cut. You see what I'm saying? I just encourage you to do it. Don't do that under pressure or obligation or some sense of, I have to. We get to represent the king. We get to represent him when we speak to people. We get to represent him when we come alongside and help somebody with something. And in another way we get to represent him is with our vote. We get to vote as representatives because that's what we are. We're children of the king. We're going to close out. I haven't said that yet, so I'm using that uh, now. My closeout card. First Peter chapter 2. If you'll turn there with me. Verse 13. We're going to look at verses 13 and 17 and pray. We've looked at Romans. I haven't went to other texts, which you can do on your own in, in cross-reference. But we will close with a parallel passage. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. God, would you show us individually how to do that? How to fulfill these exhortations, these instructions that you've given us, Lord, how to Walk in this world, Lord. May we, we desire wisdom. May we seek it. As your Proverbs tell us so clearly that we would search it out and understand it and let it direct our steps. God, may we have your compassion upon people, no matter what their political affiliation or their position on different issues. May we be, be as you were, God, to engage with compassion and empathy, to convey kindness and understanding and speak with truth, with clarity, in conviction, and so may you show us, Lord, how to live that way and how to, how to extend that love to those around us. God, thank you for the study. We pray for our nation. You would direct us, that you would bring about change. We believe your in-time scenario is non-negotiable. We also believe that we're to be a part of what you would have us be a part of until the day we depart. To you be the glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.